0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. This time, we're talking about marketing's world-changing power when it comes to sustainability. Now, sustainability is something we write about every single day on the Drum. In fact, we have a dedicated sustainability reporter. And the reason we do that is because we know it's not just important to consumers, it's important to agencies who are themselves comprised of people and for the brands who they represent. And so I'm delighted to say that for this episode, talking about sustainability, um, I'm joined by four fantastic guests who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. So Laura, could we start with you? Who are you and what does your company do, please?
1: Uh, Hi there. Uh, My name is Laura Fell and I work for the London office of George P. Johnson Experience Marketing and I'm the head of graphics production. So we obviously do large scale events all over the world for whatever our clients want and I'm heavily involved with the print and uh, production side of those deliveries.
0: Nice, fantastic. And John? My name's John Shanahan, and
2: I am uh, currently serving as Sustainability Engagement Director at Radley Yeldar. Uh, Radley Yeldar, or R-Y as we call it, um, is a independent creative consultancy, uh, been around for about 35 years, based in Shoreditch in London. Um, and the work that we do spans uh, a wide spectrum of uh, corporate communications ecosystems, um, significant um, offering and reporting, and we also have a whole brand engagement uh division that includes things like brand and visual identity um campaigns b2b campaigns uh, employee experience um and we have a significant and growing sustainability offer uh, which includes sustainability strategy sustainability reporting and sustainability engagement which is uh, obviously where i live and work so exciting times for us and uh, very much germane to, to my world this this entire topic
0: and very germane to this podcast so yeah thanks for bringing your insight to this and mb same question who are you and what does your company do please
3: Yes, hi, I'm MB. Uh, I'm an executive creative director at Landor and Fitch. And Landor and Fitch is a global brand transformation agency, Viz ID, marketing, communications, brand strategy, all of the things you need to transform your business um, in a changing world. Um, And I primarily sit in sort of the what we call the Good Squad, which is our sort of good brands offer, which is related to brand-led sustainability. Um, So very excited to be here with all of you folks.
0: Nice, fantastic. And last but not least, Celine, who are you and what do you do? Thanks.
3: Hi, everyone. So
4: um, I work at Jellyfish. Jellyfish is a, an agency that operates in more than 20 countries uh, over the whole scope of digital marketing. We mostly help our clients manage the the world of uh, digital platforms. Uh, so we have a very close relationship with all the ad tech uh, platforms on the market. And at Jellyfish, I'm in charge of transforming the way we do our work for our clients to the way we deliver client projects to simply cut carbon emissions as much as possible. And I'm also part of the brand strategy team, so I'm used to working with every capability and a lot of uh, different clients.
0: Nice. Fantastic. Well, it's absolutely delightful to have all four of you on. You've all coming at this from a very, very different point of view. So I'm sure that we'll get a range and a real breadth of expertise on all the questions that we're going to ask. But to begin with, I touched on some of the moral imperatives in the intro there. But Celine, beyond those moral imperatives to be more sustainable, what other reasons is the marketing industry trying to become more sustainable? Is it on behalf of clients? Do clients want it? Is it because we're all consumers ourselves? Why do you see the marketing industry trying to become more sustainable?
4: Well, it's all intricated, right? So obviously, consumers' uh, minds are changing and they are asking brands to uh, support the shift to a more sustainable economy. Like recently, I was uh, looking at the study um, that was showing that uh, global consumers around the globe, uh, 22% of them are expanding brands and private companies to lead the way towards a more sustainable world. And that's actually the same percentage of people who expect uh, public policies and public institutions to do the same. Uh, So brands are at the forefront of the sustainable transformation. And obviously, agencies and any type of partners uh, that are helping them shape the marketing strategy uh, has to do the same and try and build this new future. So that's why clients are asking the industry um, to reset the past, uh, And that's what we're trying to do. I also imagine that in a few years from now, the regulations, especially in Europe, uh, and when I say Europe, I mean the UK as well, and probably the US, uh, but uh, all over the, the world at some point, Uh, regulators will ask the industry to report more on scope 3 emissions. Uh, Right now, we're mostly reporting on scope 1 and 2. So that's electricity consumption, um, business trips. But anything related to the work we do as marketers is mostly scope 3, which we don't really have to report on, even though lots of companies are starting to do it. So at some point, uh, that may become mandatory and last but not least like we just know that there is no business to be done in a world where <laughs> we've grown everything <laughs> to create revenue so I think that just any strategy called integrates uh, sustainability at its heart now.
0: That, that was incredibly comprehensive. Thanks. And also sort of uh, vaguely terrifying towards the end as well. <laughs> but Laura, you were nodding along there, particularly when Salim was talking about um, regulation. Is that one of the reasons why you think that the industry is becoming more sustainable is in preparation for those days?
1: I, I think it is because I think if businesses aren't preparing for that, then ultimately they're going to get left behind. And obviously if we're if we'd- moving away slightly from the moral objectives of why we're doing this commercially every business wants to stay viable and wants to stay alive and if they're not hitting their targets if they're not doing what their brands are asking them to do then they're going to fall behind and and rightly so because that means they're not doing the work in order to get to where they should be which is reducing emissions across the board both within their own operations and for whatever operations they do on behalf of their clients so legislation i think is probably the key next step and saline i think you're right i think europe will be first with that just because of from my understanding of where certain things are in terms of material supply chain and and i'm thinking in a physical world here um predominantly but i do think that that is that is coming it's the logical next step to put you know if if, just a make a um, hypothetical um, link here you know if you've got a tax on sugary drinks then you have a tax on harmful materials and and that is where things are going and yeah people need to be doing the work to investigate so they're up at the standards where they should be
0: nice fantastic well you've teed so much up there and what would be some of the other reasons that you've seen either from client demand or because you know it's coming from internally where do you think a lot of this change is being driven from
3: Yeah, no, I mean, regulation aside, you have to look at future generations, right? Gen Z in particular, you know, if you want to be sort of with it, um, you know, and really sort of look at that sort of new audience and new sort of t- TAM um, and thinking about a t- total addressable market, you know, Gen Z in particular is very, very, very concerned about the planet and that climate anxiety and really, you know, using their purchasing dollars for good. You know, mm-hmm. Gen Z is more likely to purchase a brand that is perceived as good, quote unquote. Um, so thinking about that audience in particular and, and future audiences, it's going to be more and more and more important. Um, you mentioned internally too, you know, it's interesting, the good squad at Landor and Fitch was basically started because employees were like, I want to use my job to do something good. Um, and I think as creative and creative professionals, right. Everyone on this call, marketing professionals, you know, we also feel this deep sense of, you know, how, how can we use our day-to-day to to really further the world. And I know as cheesy it is, you know, design can save the world. Like it truly can, like actually. Like if you think about the small-scale changes you make with these big global clients, that has an impact. Um, And that is, you know, I think a lot of us sort of get up in the morning because of that impact.
0: Well, I I saw John was nodding along particularly strongly to that. Is that something that you've seen either, you know, internally at your own organization or because, you know, to, to some of the other points because it's being driven by, you know, individuals who genuinely care about this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said, and I think we've kind of covered a comprehensive, um, you know, aerial view of a lot of the the triggers that are there. Of course, investors are more and more interested in this as well, and there's a whole regulatory picture when it comes to sustainability disclosures that they want to be anticipating and make sure that they have as much transparency as possible, kind of... um, Riffing on what Celine had to say, and there's obviously a bigger picture there. And that, that those standards are changing and the regulation is getting tighter and tighter there. And I think everyone's looking to anticipate that, um, you know, despite the whole furor over what ESG really means in relation to sustainability and all this kind of thing. So investors are a big um, part of the picture as well. Um, but just riffing further on what MB had to say around, you know, Gen Z and our, um, or Gen Z, as we say in North America <laughs> and our, um, and also the workforce. You know, we have, um, highly principled, highly sensitive people who are very much at the fundament of the business model for creative agencies and, and, and consulting firms more broadly. And, um, you know, you, you don't want to generalize too much, but statistics are clearly indicating that that entire generation is, is more principled, um, is really reexamining, you know, the, the role of work in their lives. And, um, you know, these are sensitive people who uh, who are kind of in touch with subtle forces. Um, you know, there's obviously, we're, we're adjacent to the arts, and many of us are our artists. And, you know, there's a connection to nature, I think, that's kind of implicit in, you know, the connection to our creative work uh, for many of us. And so um, watching what's happening, um, fear about coming generations, but also just a sense of balance and a bit almost mindfulness. It sounds a bit woo-woo to say that, but you know, that kind of fuels a lot of creatives' lives. Pressure around sustainability storytelling is coming from all sides. You have saber rattling from the right saying, you know, this is kind of woke, especially in the US, obviously, um, trying to kind of tamp it down and from the left saying it's not enough, not far enough, not fast enough, and not within context exert pressure using the creative uh, impact that we know we can generate to move the market in the right direction in such a way that it shows that balance and reflects where the culture is going. Um, I think a lot of us see that opportunity and want to continue to work in that margin
0: well john unfortunately you are the first person on the podcast to have ever used the word woke so i do think you owe everybody a coffee for that but um moving on then what we <laughs> we we've really taken a holistic look there at everything i think m- most of the reasons why the industry is grappling with sustainability certainly that's those are the reasons why we see you know in the drums journalist inbox um but i wondered then from a very practical and tangible point of view what steps has the industry actually taken to make sure that we are not just moving in that direction, but are accountable for that as well?
1: Well, I can I can have a, a quick answer. Well, not necessarily a quick answer, but I can answer that in terms of the uh, live events industry in, in the UK specifically at the moment. Um, and it probably doesn't go quite so far as like uh, ultimate accountability in terms of government and stuff. But in terms of an industry, there's definitely steps being taken to um benchmark data um and i think that if you have that data that's the first step to improving upon that data um and that's all through there's a, a there's an industry body who i i actually do some consulting work for with the print working group called ila who um you you probably are aware of but they um they uh, are producing tools, basically, which help event planners make better decisions across the, the whole sort of live events and marketing space. Um, and one of the tools that they put out is Trace. Uh, and I can tell you that, for example, um, GPJ um, has is, is using that globally uh, where appropriate. And we're sort of building it into our infrastructure for certain events and certain clients so that we do have that data that we can then improve on. And like I said earlier, both from our own sort of perspective as, as an agency, but also from our clients perspective, so that they have a report that they can that everyone can improve on it for, for future years, because a lot of our work is year on year. Um, so I think that that's um, I think that that's a pretty good starting point for where we are, because obviously all of the data that gets entered in is is the final Thing that was ordered, produced, bought, and that obviously happens after a long period of consultation. So that is a um, that's yeah. That, like I said, that's that's kind of the starting point. So I think that that's that's a really good indicator of where things could go.
0: So something that that Laura just brought up is that longitudinal look at it. So obviously, you measure your efforts towards sustainability in. The course of years decades as opposed to just over days so mb to what extent do you feel like we are still in the foothills of actually demonstrating that we are moving towards that
3: yeah it's it's very really interesting right like you think about different industries and sort of cross-industry um, metrics and i think a lot of clients either will have sort of their independent sort of data gathering solutions independent kpis and then, of course, you have the governmental ones and depending, again, like global brands will have different ones They're sort of, you know, beholden to different governments. Um, you know, I think in terms of like design and brand, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, how do you embed sustainability into your brand? Of course, you know, looks like landor and or, you know, trying to figure that out. And I think what uh, sort of the hurdle that we have a lot with clients is they're so, sort of like tiptoeing. Um, and they're like, "How do I measure this? What are the KPIs? Um, and how do I do this in a very real way?" And part of it is like, just start—like, literally, just start. Um, that sort of risk aversion or that fear that you know you're not going to have all the answers. Like, none of us have all the answers. We are all figuring this out together. It is a journey. It is a process. Um, but that sort of helping clients get over the hump, and you know, thinking about that industry in general, like, how do we, how do we use education? um, as that means to that first step. And I think that's a, that's a lot of what we are doing currently is like, what's the business value, good brands equal good business. And how do you really take that first step?
0: And so Celine, the MB's brought up a really interesting point there, which is around education. To what extent do you feel like the industry is aware of what can be done in and around sustainability, whether that is, you know, taking steps to reduce carbon footprint versus, you know, actually measuring how you are performing in that way over time?
4: Well, actually, unfortunately, I feel like it's very nascent and uh, it's all very new in the industry. Uh, that's quite normal, I guess, like across across most of the industries, it's all very new. But as we don't deal with physical supply paths, as you said, Laura, it's it was all very theoretical to us for a very long time, especially in digital, because, I, I mean, we we at Jellyfish focus on digital. Uh, so right now, what's happening is that uh, everyone in the industry, so ad tech platforms, agencies, but also uh, the brands, are reflecting on how we should move forward. And w- what I'm experiencing is that many people across the industry, especially uh, maybe in France, because I work at a global level across the organization. I know that in France, also in the UK, like the awareness around climate change and of the role of digital in climate change is a bit higher maybe than in other markets. And that's all due to the media coverage of it, uh, probably. Uh, and also, I mean, the Paris Agreement happened in our country. So it was obviously more mediatized. But we have to level up uh, uh, the overall awareness around climate change in general, but also around the carbon footprint of our digital industry. That's a first step. And then we'll have to explain to people how we measure and how we reduce this carbon footprint. But the fact is that this knowledge doesn't really exist yet. Like, we're, we're just creating it. And there is no one in the industry who can say here is the good way to measure the carbon footprint of a paid media campaign. Like There are different actors, different players that are reflecting on it, building different methodologies. And we're just in this moment where we're comparing them, testing them, challenging them and trying to understand what will be included in the calculation, what shouldn't, uh, what makes sense. So the KPI is obviously the carbon emissions, but the way we actually end up knowing how much carbon we emitted, that's another question and that's a real challenge.
0: Where does the book stop when it comes to developing? Those knowledge bases, you know, is it upon individual agencies? Is it upon brand, government, a combination of all of them? Where do you see that responsibility lying?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously, agencies want to be contending with uh, with their briefs with as strong of a knowledge base as they can. You know, there's a number of. Um, uh, existing short courses out there, like um, one in particular from the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. It's an eight-week online course. I think Harvard has one. There's a number of big institutions that are putting them out there. And these are sort of reasonable investments to make to get um, to get your staff, especially consultants, kind of um, conversant on the issues and understanding kind of what the big material impacts are of various issues around sustainability. So I do think it's incumbent upon agencies for... Um, Anyone who's taking on briefs that have a sustainability um, angle or or have a sustainability core to the thrust of the of the, the work. Uh, have someone who has you know that level of expertise or significantly higher. Really, um, ultimately, if you're doing deep work in sustainability, you should be you know you should have someone who's got kind of um, master's level education on the team who can vet and um, and instantiate that knowledge across everyone who's working on the brief. Um, but I think you know you, what you're looking for as well is the 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 opportunity to use the. Advice you're bringing to the brand to educate the public, especially on things like the context of the work that they're doing, um, and sort of how it connects to bigger systems. So I think that's really where storytelling around sustainability is going. You know, everyone talks about, you know, here's what our targets were around water, or here's where we were on scope three emissions, um, and they'll give you a percentage or a number of gigatons or whatever it is that their impact is, and and then they'll say our target is this by 2030 or 2035. But we don't really know, looking at those numbers, what that means in terms of how much impact a business should have in those, um, in those key metrics in order to be operating within a sustainable balance. So are they, are they you know, pulling enough from the water table or little enough from the water table that it maintains you know, the levels in the Mead River, for instance, in the Southwest, um, or, or sort of um, owns their increment of how much they should be how much they should be expunging from the water table in that region. So that's where I think things are going. And I think that's also an opportunity uh, for agencies to kind of use their their the bandwidth and the share of voice that their brands have to level up an understanding of sustainability issues more broadly. Um, and I think that's frankly our, our responsibility.
0: John, thank you so much for a really comprehensive answer there. And we've grappled with, you know, where does the problem come from? Where does it lie? You know, where does the motivation to change originate? But now moving on to what I think is probably quite a fun and optimistic forward-facing question, which is what do you all believe is the best example to date that you've seen of the industry making a sustainability campaign, whether that's, you know, an individual campaign on behalf of a brand or it's a cross industry body actually taking steps to reduce its carbon footprint. What do you see as being the best example to date that you can think of? And that's to whoever wants to answer it.
1: I mean, I could, I could, uh, uh, have a quick answer to this one again. I, I think, um, I'm not sure it's the fun angle, but f- for me, when Isla was um, being thrown around as an idea, um, and that this was back in um, the end of 2019, so we didn't know obviously that there was going to be a global pandemic that was going to completely decimate the live events in the industry just around the corner. But I think what the team at Isla have managed to do by getting 12 founding members, most of which are comp- uh, are comp- what well, they are, all competitors in the field to come together and truly collaborate whether that is with their time with resources with uh, bodies with seed money like to, to help create these tools for me that is a really strong indication that the the what people want to do and where they want to get to is is aligned which is with Know we need to do better. We all know that we need to, like I said earlier, like we need to be on top of this commercially as well as from that moral perspective. Um, And I think that that for me was a really strong indicator of where the industry, certainly in the UK, is, which is everyone sort of putting aside their commercial differences for a minute and all concentrating on the big picture, which um, is it's really impressive if you actually think about it. And the fact that people have been in the same room, the fact that people are sharing posts on LinkedIn about what everyone else is doing. It's really, really positive. And that's where I think we should get to with this because naively there's a part of me that just thinks this is is bigger than individual agencies and individual, uh, you know, bank accounts but at the same time obviously it's it's it, that is what our day-to-day is so like yeah. I, I know that that's a really naive way of of looking at it but in my everything is lovely head that's that's what that's what i what that's what i have sort of joined on to um but yeah that's that for me is, is really positive but also just in an activation way what i love is the way brands can make it engaging and i can't think of a particular example but there have been a couple of things that i've seen where you don't know that subjects is sustainability, but you're drawn into it. And then ultimately what you get is a learning and a message that you have just sort of happened upon by accident. And I think that they're really, really important because I think at this stage, there are a lot of people that don't like being preached to and they don't like they don't like the thought of learning at this stage in their lives. But I think if they subtly pick up on things and I think that that is um that's incredible and a real opportunity.
0: As we move on now to, I suppose, from the wider industry look at this down to a sort of more granular level, I wondered what are some of the, what has your own organization done either solo or on behalf of a client to really f- further sustainability issues in the industry and beyond? Embi, I'd like to hear about the, uh, you, the this team that's solely for good, if I could there. I think that'd be a really good way to kick it off.
3: Yeah. So um, uh, we have our sort of internal organization called Good Brands, um, which is our brand-led sustainability offer. And basically, I mean, our job and remit and sort of reasoning for existing is to really embed sustainability into every client project that we could ever possibly think of. Um, And it's been pretty successful and clients are pretty excited um, to just really, again, sort of take that first step and be really open to, you know, having sustainability be part of the pillars of of their brand. Um, You know, we've done a number of sort of sustainable events and experiences looking at sort of measuring um, impact across digital experiences like, you know, Celine was talking about. We have a lot of packaging clients. So looking at packaging as a a means to, again, educate the consumer, do something really interesting um, in terms of shifting consumer behavior. uh, That's been a very, very sort of... um, Amazing opportunity for us. And then, you know, looking at technology, um, we just launched uh, Hippo Harvest, which is a ag tech company. And uh, they're really looking at the future of farming, which is not in the field, as you would imagine. Um, it's very much, uh, you know, thinking about how, how our planet is becoming increasingly hostile um, and how we can sort of like make sure our food supply is going to be future-proofed in a very interesting way so you know that brand has been sort of like a you know a sustainable native brand. So we're looking at at opportunities like that where day one their their whole reason for existing is to sort of create a sustainable future for all Mm -hmm. um so a lot a lot of interesting things um happening on the land or fish side for sure
4: well first we created what we call a steering group which is i think the equivalent probably of um the group in your in your company. So uh, we have different streams. And first of all, we focused on measuring our scope one and two emissions, uh, which is something we're building a model that we can uh, scale across the organization. So that's internally and we put in place some actions to reduce the electricity consumption in our buildings and we're looking into what we're doing internally. But more importantly, because I think we have the opportunity to have a greater impact through the way we do uh, our projects for our clients, uh, we are putting up task force in each and every capability, so creative and experience, uh, paid media and data, because we operate across uh, all of these different parameters, uh, to first decide how we're going to measure with which solution do we need to develop something internally or not? Uh, do we think there is a solution in the market that's strong enough for us to scale across all of the projects? So that's the first thing. And that's actually a very big question. I was talking about it earlier. Um, then we're also looking into the reduction opportunities uh, for our carbon emissions. So just to give you a few examples, in the creative and experience uh, capability, we started uh, delivering like uh, advertising shootings that are completely, that emitted zero emissions. Uh, And that was quite a big thing to do. And teams had to completely train themselves uh, and build their own knowledge uh, from scratch on it. Uh, which was great. We also developed uh, websites that uh, didn't emit as much carbon uh, as others for one of our biggest clients in France. Uh, And we're working on developing an algorithm uh, that can adjust and optimize uh, the level of emissions on one campaign uh, while maintaining the media performances. So there are many ways to cut the emissions, and we're just looking into it, exploring it. Uh, It's mostly through proof of concepts right now. Uh, I hope that maybe next year we'll be able to scale and to productize a few of them. But right now, we're just exploring and testing.
0: Nice. Fantastic. There's such a range of things you're trying there. I think that's absolutely fascinating that you're sort of almost throwing your net that wide and and finding ways to do that in a way that, you know, is, is outside of the box. I think that's fantastic. And John, obviously as sustainability engagement director, you're likely to have some very, very practical examples of what you can actually do and what you have been doing in and around this space,
2: Yes, indeed. So um, we're lucky enough at RY to be working with uh, NGOs and government or pardon me, industry bodies um, who are looking to affect real behavior change on the citizen level. So, um, you know, we have a number of people at, on, uh, on the team who have a uh, strong background in behavioral science and behavioral economics and looking at, you know, sort of behavior change paths starting at the campaign level and with some interventions, you know, one or two rungs down through the user path. Um, which is really satisfying work. One of the, one of the, um, clients that we've been working with for a long time is RAP, a big, um, UK environmental charity. It stands for Waste and Resources Action Plan for those who aren't familiar. Um, and they work in textiles and food waste and dry recycling. And we do a number of, um, uh, national recycling campaigns, which is, I mean, recycling is kind of the, was the first port of call for many of us around sustainability. People in our generation have been recycling since we were kids. Um, and so how we make that feel relevant um in an era of greenwashing there's a lot of questions around the end markets especially for plastics um you know how do we kind of open up the system a little bit so people have a better understanding of how the, how the whole thing works, um, really what's behind the curtain in terms of those resource flows and how to make recycling um, a little bit more simple and straightforward with tools like what they call the Recycling Locator and optimizing our campaigns for engagement with those digital tools so that people know whether or not they can recycle a Tetra pack or foil, all of which sounds very mundane, um, but it's kind of interesting to be able to, as I say, vitalize these things and make them relevant. Mm-hmm. We're also working with Water UK, which is an industry body for the water industry on a, a, a campaign that just launched on Monday, in fact. <clears throat> Um, uh, uh, called bin the wipe which is all about uh, wet wipes Uh, wet wipes down the loo account for about 75% of the blockages in sewers Um, this has a major impact on the environment Um, a lot of the 90% of the wet wipes contain at least some plastic Um, there's these big fatbergs that kind of clog up the system it's very costly for all of us I'm sure you've probably seen some press around this um But we really need to plug into self-interest with these campaigns because it it could also lead to a block, uh, a blocked toilet in your home. And obviously that's a nightmare that nobody wants to contend with. So, um, those are all, those are all, um, ways in which we tie into narratives. Those are all opportunities to tie into narratives that include at least some component of self-interest on the recycling thing. It's about, um, social norming. Recycling is not great because it's great for the children or it's going to save the whales or it's going to protect the turtles. It's because everyone around us is doing it. It's just kind of the baseline and, and the norm. And so that's something that we tie into along with kind of a unity narrative around mm-hmm. uh, you know resources as a, as a shared good that we should all pay into and continue to build over time. And the last example I'd bring forward is um, some work that we did for Tesco. Um, Tesco, uh, you know, obviously the, the UK's largest retailer, this is an enormous grocery kind of behemoth Um have been quiet on sustainability for a long time, but actually quite active behind the scenes. So we uh, helped them to update the story on their corporate site and really look to create a frame where we were sort of placing uh, placing the the business within the bigger systems context in which they were working. They were famous for requiring scope three transparency from um, all of their. Trucks and shipping fleets um, earlier than many in the industry, so things like that, and bringing that into the way they tell their their story as a purpose-led organization across both the environment and the you know the social fabric that they're looking to affect change within. So that's been very satisfying work, um, and it kind of blurs that the specialist audiences like NGOs and investors and and generalists who are looking to understand what Tesco is doing to have a greater impact. So very gratifying.
0: Nice, fantastic. I mean, you you mentioned greenwashing as well earlier. There, we could have spent the entire time on this podcast talking about that as <laughs> just for you. the benefit of, uh, of of the listeners everybody started nodding then so yeah we'll uh we'll have to come back and do a, a separate episode purely on that but for now as we sort of wrap up the podcast then you've all come up with fantastic examples there of what can be done you've explored the reasons why the industry is grappling with this now and also the steps we still need to take to ensure that we are actually delivering upon those promises we've made to clients consumers and ultimately ourselves so i wondered if we could maybe go around and say are you optimistic then that the industry is moving in the right direction and you know if yes then great but if not why not so laura could you maybe take us through that to begin with
1: um I am hugely optimistic. Yes, I I think um, the part of the industry that I work in is obviously traditionally very wasteful. Um, We do something that could be up sometimes for one afternoon, sometimes for five days, but very rarely uh, a long uh, amount of of time. And and I think uh, we as an industry, as a collective brand side, agency side, supply side, are post-pandemic in the sort of resurgence from last year, taking a real long, hard look about how and why we need to do things better and more sustainably, and I think some of the solutions that people are coming up with to make something truly circular. Um, so encouraging people to, uh, you know, and it's, it goes right back to design stage and strategy stage. So. Don't put logo, Don't put years and on, on your logo so that you can reuse those graphics. Pay for storage. Look into look into what systems are available. Um, I think it's a it's a long journey, and we're very much at the beginning of that with a lot of our clients. And obviously, some clients are much more engaged in this process than than, than others. Um, but I I I see real change driven. Not only by uh, an agency like mine that we we work with because we we know that we need to uh, we need to do better and do more, but the brands that we're working with they have a they have their own corporate responsibility that they have to be on on track with, and that that filters all the way through to their marketing teams on a day to day basis. And I really do think you know even I've just come back from delivering quite a big event on site, and some of the decisions that were made. Six months ago, have a tangible effect on what that data is going to be, which is, you know, we will have the same system framework for our build in 2024, um, rather than something that's completely custom build and custom uh, bespoke made, and which would have looked absolutely beautiful. But the challenge now is how to make something that is sustainable look just as beautiful with slightly different parameters and and slightly different budgets. So I really think that as an industry, we are. We're at, we're at the beginning of a really interesting period where, I mean, there is no two ways about it. It's interesting because it has to be, the, the industry has to change. But I really think that we're at the beginning of the driving force between that. And with the collaborative attitude, I think everyone will be uh, on the same, the same level before too long. But yeah, it's, it's really encouraging what I'm seeing so
0: far. Fantastic. And John, some question, are you optimistic? And if so, why?
2: Generally, yes. Um, I think obviously this is rising on the agenda and in the zeitgeist and the fact that there's so much heat around greenwashing tells you that it's become, uh, you know, sort of the leading topic. So I think people understand the underlying fundamental you know, impact of not making the transition to a more sustainable operating model and that the the industry, for all the reasons we've already said, is is decisively trying to move in that direction. Um, things like clean creatives, um, you know, which is this coalition uh, that has decided not to uh, engage with fossil fuels and I think some other deleterious uh, sectors, um, you know, the the qualification process and how we weed out, you know, those who are clearly not, you know, decisively making the transition in the right direction, I think is a big part of the power that we have as creatives. But We are also driven by a market dynamic. And so I think I'm confident that we're moving in the right direction, but I think this year will actually be very telling.
0: Right, yeah, as we see
2: budgets get more constrained and, uh, you know, sort of a triage happening, you know, we're largely at the mercy in terms of the effect that we can have. I think time will tell, but it's a really, really exciting time in the space. And I certainly think we've we've laid the groundwork better than we had five years ago, and that's exciting.
4: Well, uh, I think the big question is not, are we going into the right direction? Because I think we are, uh, but are we... is it's more a question of speed, like, are we going uh, fast enough <laughs> into this direction? And that actually I have some doubts about, but it's not just the advertising industry, it's the whole society. Recently, I was reading a, a, an article that was um, stating that most of the companies that have net zero ambition uh, have actually no plan to deliver on it. Um so it, it kind of became a buzzword, you know, becoming net zero by 2030, 2050, whatever. The question is is how do we do that and how do we do that really fast? Because it's already 2023. So it's not like we have a lot of time ahead of us. And just as a reminder, uh, the considering the latest APCC reports, we're supposed to cut uh, our emissions by 55%. By 2030 compared to 2019, um, so yeah, that's a very big challenge. That requires very radical actions uh, that have to happen now, like this year, not in two years from now. And as the MB was saying, like lots of people are really tiptoeing, not really willing to uh, to act on it or. Uh, are, are afraid to, to put transformation into place. So uh, it's be really more question of speed than...
3: Well, I don't think we, <laughs> we can't be here in five to 10 years talking about the same things. And I think this conversation has absolutely led to that. On a personal note, I'm a mom. I've got three kids. I have to be optimistic that this is changing in a very real way. And I think what everyone has has alluded to is like the speed and the urgency is it's at a fever pitch. It hasn't been like this, you know, like the, the number of like billion dollar disasters globally is just increasing, right? And we all see it. And I particularly see it like sitting on the coast and, you know, California in particular, like the water situation is very, very real. Um, I feel like I've been in this industry long enough um, that the conversations now happening, even in the last two years at that C-suite level Is just beyond. It's inspiring. It's exciting. I think people are really seeing, you know, ESG and sustainability sort of as table stakes in a way they hadn't. Literally, even in the last two years, Um, I've noticed that change. And, like I said, you know, all of us are lucky enough to work on these big global brands with governments and and really sort of changing policies in the the best way that we can. Um, So even this conversation gives me a lot of hope because I feel like there's that energy and that momentum. Um, that exists in the creative industries in a way that hasn't before. Um, so yes, I'm optimistic and we will not be talking about this in five years.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for ending the episode on an optimistic note. That's fantastic. Uh, then as a very final question, we like to offer our listeners the opportunity to reach out to you and find you if they've got anything they particularly want to pick your brains about that you mentioned during this episode. So Laura, if people want to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to contact you?
1: probably linkedin um there's there aren't that many laura fells out there so you'll find me eventually <laughs> but um yeah definitely linkedin um my profile is pretty open so i will respond to anyone that has any interest or questions
0: at least relevant questions
1: relevant questions yeah yes. not not,
0: yeah. not questions about this Looming book tower, which I can see in your background. I know, you should have Otherwise, seen it. It's scaring me the entire episode. You have
1: seen it before. I had a turf out. I, don't worry, it's stable. It's fine.
0: <laughs> and John, you have a uh, slightly less precarious bookshelf. Where can listeners reach out to you about that?
2: It's not anchored to the wall. I should say. I say in full transparency. Yeah, no, so LinkedIn as well, John Shanahan. Um, you can also take a look at what RY is doing at ry.com and uh, reach out to me or any of us uh, you know through the through the hello at ry.com email. But LinkedIn, John Shanahan is gonna be the easiest way to reach out and I encourage anybody to uh, to do
0: so. Nice, fantastic. And MB.
3: Yeah, so I'm very easy. MB. Uh so LinkedIn is very, very easy and Wonderful place to reach me. And of course, landorfitch.com is the agency I work for. So feel free to reach out. Social media, always great. All of
0: those places. Nice, fantastic. And Celine?
3: Well, LinkedIn
4: as well, if you manage to spell my name right. <laughs> Even French people misspell it. So <laughs> I know it's, it's not very easy, but yeah, LinkedIn will definitely answer.
0: Well, just for the listeners' benefit then, we will be including, as we always do, not just names, but job titles and company names in the episode description. So, Laura, John, MB, and Celine, thank you so much for coming on and having this chat. Like I said, we could have spoken about any one of the things you brought up for another hour at least. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and actually sharing your expertise. For the listeners, if you do want to explore this topic in more detail, go to thedrum.com where we write about sustainability and all aspects of media marketing every single day of the week so that's the drum.com or you can find us on social at the drum but for now thank you so much for listening thank you laura thank you john thank you mb and thank you celine and goodbye